Hello, welcome to another episode. Want to give a quick shout out to the newest patrons. Sierra, Duar, Jude, Brown, Matt, Starzalka. Hopefully I said that right. My apologies. Kevin McGuire, Justin Hicks, Johnny Foxbar, TM, Eric Langley, John Cena, <laughs> Dennis Milliman, Atlas Mufasa. And then we also have some upgrades joy Ryder, shout out to you bro shout out to peter shell and chad for upgrading to the highest tier i have available where you get access to all my research and reading materials so all my books pdf format you have access to that so thank you guys all so much really appreciate the support and enjoy this episode hello and welcome to the one on one podcast if you're enjoying the show consider signing up for the patreon there you get ad-free content, early access, exclusive episodes, and monthly supporter hangouts. You can find it at patreon.com slash the Juan on Juan podcast. If you don't like the subscription-based models, there are other ways of supporting the show that are linked in the description. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this episode. podcast with your host Juan Ayala. Welcome back to another episode of the Juan Juan podcast. We're doing something a little bit different today. We're doing a little bit of a follow-up for those that haven't listened yet to the Occult Book Club episode number 10, A Voyage to the World of Cartesius. Go ahead and check that out now because that's going to be loosely based on this episode is going to be loosely based on that. And here we are. Make sure to follow me on social media at the one on one podcast on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, wherever. Leave a five star review on any podcast platform you're listening to. Also, check out all the stuff we have on the website, The Occultist Monday. Got issue one, two. I'm working on issue number three. And also, check out the comic book, The Chosen Juan versus This Attorney and Cube. There you go. Everybody's got it. And I know Thomas has a whole bunch of stuff he wants to play. But make sure to follow us on there. Make sure to leave a five-star review. It really helps the show. If you're listening to this on the YouTube side, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, share with everybody that you know, et cetera, et cetera. Make sure to join the Telegram. Got a lot of people on there. It's growing day by day. And it's just a whole bunch of weirdos. Sorry to say that, but a whole bunch of weird people. I mean. <laughs> Get yourself on the list. <laughs> Get yourself on the list, yeah. So here we are. What's up, guys? Thomas, you, Thomas, you want to plug your stuff and Gabe? Yeah, I mean, as always, man, ParanoidAmerican.com. Um, my my big one is the Paranoid American pamphlet on MK Ultra, And you already mentioned the one-on-one podcast official comic, The Chosen One. Uh, so, yeah, check out ParanoidAmerican.com. We got a whole bunch of new stuff coming this year, but I'll 
you'll hear about it if you keep coming back and, and watching the channel you're gonna see all kinds of cool exclusive reviews that won't even be out till next year so nice nice and gabe yeah slick distance my youtube channel name uh i also get down over on the weaving spiders webs you catch me on uh interverse with chance garton over on the Rockfin. And uh, I get down with uh, Rising from the Ashes every now and again, too. So big shout out to everybody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a shared learning experience over on my channel. Me and my yeah. fucking dry erase boards. I was just <laughs> mentioning to uh, to Juan when, when we started setting this up, I was putting together some art feedback for the Rising from the Ashes comic. So that's coming out soon now. Nice shirt, bro. Nice. You're gonna get us pulled from YouTube for wearing that. <laughs> this is the OG shirt, man. Did you did you yeah, buy I was supplements about with it. that too? <laughs> but you know what? It's almost like uh like when a band goes through like a horrible phase. Um, but you like you still see people rocking like the original Metallica <laughs> shirt before they shit all over Napster, you know what I mean? Uh, so this is kind of an example of that one. Like I'm rocking like nineteen nineties. Infowars, maybe not 2022 Infowars. Yeah, yeah. I haven't. I told somebody recently that I only listened to like the half of the first hour. It's usually all ads about buying the supplements, and I only like their first albums, bro. I only like Alex Jones's first albums. Well, <laughs> here we are. So, I I showed Gabe the episode before it came out, right? For for those that are on the Patreon. Patreon.com slash the one on podcast. I, I gave Gabe, since he is a contributor to the channel and a friend of the channel, I gave him a little bit of early access to that episode just to get some feedback. I like to get feedback on things before I put them out. And Gabe was blown away. And I knew, and kudos to Paranoid American for actually finding this, this gem. And I've gone out to say that what if we stumbled across some magical journal of some sorts uh, of. And not only that, but what the symbolism behind that particular book and titles, because there is layers upon layers of meanings be behind multiple things. So not the superficial is one thing, like the the literal. And then the, I don't even think that, the author is a real person, man. The, the I more don't and more I look into, I mean, I joked at first that anyone that has two first names as their whole name isn't real, but I really the only the only way that this guy even has a record of existing is an entry in the encyclopedia britannica from the mid 1800s and before that it's almost like he didn't even exist um well it, it's weird man it's really weird gabe came up with an idea i'm not gonna say what he came up with. he blew my mind yesterday on the phone he came up with an idea of people orchestrating things behind the scenes in order to prop up other things now that's like the show, what is it, Pretty Little Liars or Gossip Girls, whatever it is, where at the end of the show, spoiler alert, it was one of the actual people within the, the group that was orchestrating everything. Now, this guy, this Gabriel Daniel guy, apparently of he... Of course it's a Gabriel. Of course. of course he's a Gabriel, right? He, he also contributed to the Descartes lexicon, I believe it's what it's called. So he was a, a Descartes esotericist. Now... What if maybe he was Descartes Tomonkey? Who knows, right? Like, who who knows what that entitles? But I say maybe on air here while you guys are talking, I'll start to dig up to see what else I can bring. Because he also did write some other stuff. So he did admit in that book that when he tried to come back the first time, the homunculus would not give his body back. And the only reason he gave his back is because Descartes and the old man and father, you know, the father that he was with 
all told the homunculus, hey, this, like, we vouched for you, so you have to get out. But there's nothing saying that he didn't leave his body some other time and come back, and he wasn't with the squad, right? And at that point, the homunculus is like, no, I'm going to I'm gonna go ahead and watch over this little, this car for you, right? It's like the valet doesn't give your keys back. What are you going to do? But that would entitle that it's the same homunculus for everybody. Or just any homunculus, right? Maybe maybe he cheaped out. Maybe he didn't hire the right homunculus for the job. <laughs> so, right? it, Gabe, it's, take, it's take also, it away. It's also a good lesson in willfulness. You know, uh, having a powerful will uh, to, to reinstate your claim on your territory. You know, a lot of people have been bred into being total pushovers. Uh, and so, but furthermore, he needed his guides. And this is why there's always a guru or a spirit guide on the other side. Uh, DMT, DMT trips have that kind of consistency of a, uh, of a, a, a helper who's going to lead you on the, on the other side of the, uh, of the veil. Uh, that, but yeah. that wise old man, Jungian archetype, right? Yes, yes. Same thing with Kung Fu. You know, when I was when I was young, I went out looking for a master, and I found quite a few of them. And they, and every master was better than the last one. You know, and I was finding masters to supersede the one that I had loyalty to, until eventually I was so old, I'm like, fuck, I'm the master now. The kids are looking to me for lessons. You know, <laughs> I always wanted the grandpa from Three Ninjas. <laughs> nice. Nice. So I found an interesting connection. I don't know if it has anything to do with it. Possibly not. But from what I can see, they were contemporaries. Now, kind of sort of contemporaries. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, not contemporaries like same age, but we have here. Check this out. Gabriel Daniel, you mean? Yeah. Check this out, bro. I don't know. We have Daniel Gabriel Fahrenheit, who was around the same time 1686 and our boy G gabriel daniel over here was around 1649 <laughs> we're also talking france versus germany and poland i don't leave that part out well but again i mean remember we have to keep in mind that and this is just going based off the the superficial we keep ideas right the idea that some of these guys would use pen names i mean that was I forget what the name of it is. Uh, uh, a pistol. Yeah, I'll find it, the actual name. Where you use a a pen name pretty much to write some sort of magical thing. So you have a lot of pseudo-platonic, pseudo-Aristotelian texts around this time. And this guy, look, this guy was in bed with Gottfried Leibniz, which was, uh, which was a Descartes fanatic. He was the one that went out and looked for Descartes' secret notebook. The secret, the secret journals. So, right, and you know, you take the first two halves of that name, you get Gottlieb. God, Gottfried Leibniz. You get Gottlieb. Yeah. yeah, and this guy, dude, this uh, this guy it was. Makes me think of Sydney Gottlieb. Bingo. Ultra fame. Yeah. Yep, and that's that's a goat liberated. It's a scapegoat. Mm. You know, he also raised uh, sheep and goats uh, on his farm. He he Who became. Did? A lot of people don't realize this, so. So Sidney Gottlieb, the guy that was known as the dirty trickster of the CIA, he was the one that was behind a lot of the, the poison slash covert dosing people with drugs. Um, so Sidney Gottlieb, a couple of things. He had Clubfoot, which is just an interesting thread on its own because there's a lot of intelligence agents that happen to have had club feet, whatever that means. Cleft feet, maybe. 
um, cloven hooves. But uh, he also, despite having gone through all of the high, you know, ranks of academia and had all sorts of money and prestige, he becomes like a homesteader. He just moves out into like a like a literal log cabin without any plumbing or electricity, and he just kind of lives out there and studies um, occult topics and poisonous topics. Uh, and it, it's nuts because this guy ends up being like MK. When people say MK Ultra, you're essentially talking about Sidney Gottlieb's pet project. Right. And the, the one-footedness and the scapegoat aspect is an Ophiuchus nod as well. Ophiuchus has the one foot on the five degrees of the ecliptic plane, and he's esca- he's he's escaping. He's uh, jumping off the plane, or off the elliptic plane. And, uh, well, and he's also... Gordon Wasson also usually refers to one-footed men or clubbed foot as references to the mushroom or mushroom cults. Nice. Nice. I love that. Which that That's in solid. itself... It, it's sort of an inside reference to secret societies as a whole. Right. Yep. And even uh, medicine men, uh, that, that's what Ophiuchus is. He's the serpent charmer. So he's a master of poisons and remedies. And as we've established, the poison is the dose. Very Perichelgian of you. Yeah, I'm reading up on this Gabriel Daniel guy and perhaps the most famous oft reprinted Voyage du Mondede Descartes. Is that the voyage? That's, of the... The, that's the one, yeah. The voyage to the world of Descartes, essentially. A refutation of the vortex theory that the philosopher, of that philosopher. And then he also wrote some, I'm trying to pull up the other stuff that he wrote about Descartes and, and maybe perhaps pull that up. But, but I'm like, from what I can see, we mentioned this on the first episode, history, historiographer. Oh, you know what? Uh, okay, so I'm working on Gabriel Daniels, really, uh, like you said, two first names. It's like calling out, but it's uh, it's two. It's double prophets. It's a heavenly prophet, angelic, and it's an earthly mundane prophet was Daniel. And so th- that is really uh, uh, indicating a, that it's a fabrication, but it's also a G dash D. This is a certain order likes to refer to their divine maker with the g-d but it also is a 74 which is wolfram which is tungsten which is the primary element that the moon is allegedly made out of uh so it's a very significant uh g uh 74 and g-d is like just just packed with meaning so what's what's your read on this guy was is it and uh, a pseudonym for another person? Is it representative of a group? Was there, yeah. was it a real person that, and then they just kind of like commandeered his, you know, likeness or was it always fictional? Uh, well, I think it's a, it's definitely a pin name. Uh, I love this quote. I don't know who this is attributed to. I'm going to give it to chance. Cause he gave it to me it was uh, if you want to change the world, you have to be pr- willing to give somebody else the credit. And so most prolific writers in this realm uh, are, in fact, institutions. I think that they are think tanks, but they put the name on a single persona. Uh, you know, I think most of Stephen King's work comes out of think tanks. I think that um, old what's-her-name that made Harry Potter, I think she's also... Uh, yeah, and especially when they, like come out of the dumpsters and into million millionaire 
infamy in the matter of uh, four years, you're looking at a construct for sure. You know, there's a, a quote um, from, I want to say it's Neil Gaiman about him and J.K. Rowling and basically just saying that, uh, I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have the verbatim quote in front of me, but that they were basically just plagiarizing Sword in the Stone. And if you look into the origins of the Sword in the Stone story, uh, which I think the fourth one was unpublished, it was all about Merlin, but it, it's got so many crazy occult connotations with everything in that story from beginning to end. And you start looking into the backstory of the guy that wrote it, and it's a it's a deep, deep rabbit hole to go down, man. Okay, and you mentioned that the uh, it was in the Sword in the Stone with, or the Merlin cartoon where the bottles. Well, were, the the were... whole premise of Sword in the Stone is essentially this like the old world, the old arcane knowledge, trying to entice the youth to follow the old ways and learn magic and learn like these occult principles versus this newer sort of bar like they would call themselves modern, but in the, in the movie and in the book, it's just like these barbarians. They just go out and fight and he wants to be a squire. So it's the, depending on if you want to become this like academic wizard person, or if you just want to be like a manual labor might makes right sort of, you know, uh, strength kind of person. And that was the whole combination of those two worlds is the exact same premise of the sword being the feminine and the, or the, sorry, the stone being the feminine, the passive and the sword being the active masculine aspect. So him being able to sort of master both of those worlds and the masculine and feminine. That is the whole premise of um, Percy Jackson, I think, was the the first one. And then you've got the J.K. Rowling, which again, Harry Potter is that same exact person that kind of like blends the two together and is like a master of all the different realms. So again, it's just, those are just retellings of the sword and the stone over and over. So are, are any of these things standing out to you, Gabe? I have the... Jamatrinator here open. We have 99. Yeah, what six, yep, 63 is hitting a chord for me big time. Well, this, there's lots of 369s in here, too. Yep. Chaldean, uh, 36. Yeah, there it is. Look at that. Okay, so there's two 63s, and then in Chaldean, you get the 36 switching it up. Oh, there's another th- There's 63. four 63s. Look at all this. Okay. And 136, but I have no idea what this means, so you're going to have to break it down for me. (laughs) Yeah, all right. Well, this is actually on my radar currently in the research I'm doing, which is really, I mean, such a long journey. Uh, I don't want to ramble or bore anybody, but uh, a long story short is I'm – I discovered you guys were – you guys have seen me do the uh, Thoth Tarot deck as it relates to star Wars, mm-hmm. which, yeah. which I, I perceive now as the psychic scaffolding of the collective consciousness. And it follows this very fascinating pattern. It does not roll out. Well, it does roll out like a Zodiac because it's sequential. The cards are in the general order of the Zodiac, but there are personalities with dynamic relationships to one another. And that tells me that the, uh, that, has brought me to overlay the tarot cards as archetype personas onto the Enneagram personality matrix. And ever since I've done that, I've been greatly rewarded and brought deeper and deeper into the mysteries of this Thoth deck. And I don't think this deck operates like all the other standard tarot decks. It has uh, profound inversions baked into the essence of its making. First of all, that Lady Frida Harris, she paid Crowley 
so she could do the deck. That's an inversion. That's not how it's done. All the other tarot decks, the, the, the author commissions an artist and pays them to do the work. So there was an inversion there in the very foundation of the deck. I wonder how much Crowley did that. He would just like go to like a restaurant or a hotel like, nah, bro, we're going to do like an inversion magic. You're going to pay me to stay in your <laughs> hotel. You're going to pay me to eat this meal. Don't worry. It's, Dude, it's all magic. He had to have game in order to have all the people who had sex with him in order for him to convince them. To have sex Trying to with follow him. me up this mountain. Oh, you've never been on a mountain before? Don't worry about Bro, it. Just follow me. I've done it a million times. This dude had to have some serious game. Some either a serious manipulator or something, but this guy was onto something. But yeah, so we yeah. have the inversion of the Crowley being paid to do his his deck, which yeah, right. very, very weird. But it's funny. Oh. Uh, well, because I'm looking here. And I, and I like to look at this because I think it's fun sometimes, right? We have the the Gematrix. And I looked up here when it gets to the English. Let's see here. Uh, results. So where the hell was it? Okay, so we got kind of. Let me look for it again. Oh, here we go. English. American flag number on there? How does so, the American flag number work? Result by English and simple Gematria. We have 13 Jupiter Ascension Nero Kaiser, which is Nero Kaisemar, the, the, the infamous Nero. Rapture. We have Firmament. We have Eradication. Then we have Michelle Obama. <laughs> No way. <laughs> yeah. We have Michelle Obama on here. So, so just to be clear, we're saying that Mich Michelle Obama might have actually written the Cartesian voyage. <laughs> Listen. Hey, we, she we, was on a boat. She was on a boat when Notre Dame was burning down, and sipping we, that champagne. And we know that the homunculus were black. So that's all I'm going to say. Dang. <laughs> Wow, that is that's really something. So, so, uh, uh, so something that's come across my radar, and this is like what is really remarkable is the the production you guys put together, kind of hit all of us on a different chord because we're all looking at this at the realm through different lenses, and I did not expect it to hit so hard in this project that I'm doing that I would think would be so unrelated. Um, you know what it is? I have a theory on this, and it's just yeah. because so many other works from this this time period right 16 mid 1600s late 16 um sort of hundreds that most of those texts are so incredibly inaccessible and just very hard to read and of course we didn't read the original french version that came out in the 1600s we read like a, a an english translation of that which was still it was only like a hundred years thomas after that. taylor if i'm not mistaken i believe it yeah, was so we've got we got a gabriel and we've got a so there was no wands in the story but the <laughs> thomas taylor which is was a very very interesting character he's he's translated a lot of works as he considers himself a neoplatonist so we got to keep that in mind as well because these are not they're they're shady. They're shady characters. I'm just I'm just gonna say. Oh, yeah. I'm just gonna put that I out think there. the lineage here is what makes it unique. Is because usually a work that was popular enough in the late 1600s to make its way all the way to modern day, or at least the early 1900s, it's been retold and reinterpreted so many times that it starts to either lose its essence or it just kind of gets like muddled up with a whole bunch of reinterpretations, which ironically this book talks about, where it's like you can't just start adapting a framework and then just kind of pick and choose little aspects of it 
to cater to your own personal beliefs. Uh, it was very much saying like, no, there's a very specific formula and this is what that formula is. But I think that's what makes this book unique is that uh, it's it's almost like unbridled, right? It's like that uncut, raw, uh, sort of Descartes philosophy and occultism without yeah. being dressed up in anything. Yeah, I would say I would say that when they say Cartesian split, they are speaking of a brand a uh, breakaway society, and that this philosophy that is birthed out of this time period and the influences that informed Descartes' work here uh, might be. Uh, uh, hailing back to a complete alteration of uh, parallel physics, a system of parallel physics. I've been sitting on this idea that Spinoza developed a system of physics that sounds like and uses the same words as the one that is handed to the masses. But in fact, there are um, strategic inversions. For example, in his time, he would use the term objective for subjective and subjective for objective. And right there, is a split where you have to double think in order to stay the course. And we know that Einstein was asked if he believed in a God. And Einstein's answer was, I believe in Spinoza's God. Mm. And so I hold a space for the possibility that the, the breakaway civilization is hailing back to this Cartier, the secret of Descartes. And I want to point and out, uh, I'm wrong on the actual Taylor the Taylor oh. Thomas, it was another Taylor Thomas from sixteen from the seventeenth century, and it's this guy. So it wasn't the Taylor Thomas that I was first alluding to, which the ta the Thomas Taylor ta Taylor Thomas that I was talking about is <laughs> Jonathan Taylor Thomas. <laughs> oh, the look Lion at that. King, bro! The, there we go. There's the agricultural uh, worship. This is the guy I was talking about. He the first to translate English, the complete works of Aristotle and Plato. So as well as Orphic fragments. I mean, <laughs> this, wow, this guy. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to point out his name is super highly ultra Masonic. 100%. So you got, you got the tailor is a, you know, a keeper of the, the checkerboard tile floors. And he's uh it's also a tailor has, will generally, you know, have a measuring rope around his neck. When he's doing his craft, he has a rope around his neck. That's a Masonic old noose pulling him along. Check this. And then Thomas, and Thomas plus, means, any any tool, any hand tools you can essentially equate to being Masonic. Any like anything yeah. that is, you know, the the thing that you actually have to look at with your eyes and measure with your hands. Yeah, man. Good call. Yep. And then Thomas is a twin. So he's got D Doppelganger Mason is basically his name. <laughs> Check this out. His Works his translations were influential on William Blake, Percy Shelley, <laughs> Percy's. Oh, oh. Look at that, uh, William. War I don't know who this guy is, but Wordsworth, uh, bro. Wordsworth. I don't know who that That's is. That's where that you ever heard of, of calling someone a Wordsworth? No. Like a ma it's like a master of language. So this guy, yeah. we know who this is, right? And his connections, and then Ralph Waldo Emerson and G. R. S. Mead, secretary. Secretary to Helena Blavatsky of the Theosophical Society. So this wow. guy, and the the reason I know about him is because I've read Iamblichus, which is the who wrote about Pythagoras. So I've read the the complete life of Pythagoras by Iamblichus, which was translated by, of course, your boy here, 
yeah, this man. guy, and it's got kind of a small head, so he's got like a Clooney thing going on a little bit. Yeah, he's got a Clooney thing going on. Yeah, he's kind of Good weird looking. Call. So yeah, you know, completely um, different from this <laughs> uh, Thomas Taylor, which was a different Thomas Taylor of earlier. So I don't know. That's a fancy hat. That is a fancy hat. So this morning over on Interverse Telegram, we were weaving on how much Helena Blavatsky from her side profile image looks like Elon Musk. <laughs> For the record, and, I don't see it, but yeah, I did see you guys talking about it. And then somebody else brought uh, old Greta Thunberg into the mix. And uh, I see it just in that side profile. There's something about the face, the you facial know, structure. The common denominator there could just be something related to like fetal alcohol syndrome fast nice nice i could see that yeah well uh greta's uh one her third name she's got a super long name greta tin tin that's double x that's the aeon card which we'll get into eventually but greta tin tin elion elion aura ernman thunberg she's got four names so she's got elon basically in her third name her mother's name was Milena, which is like so much like Helena Blavatsky. It's a, it's a trip. It's a trip and a half. Uh, so there was a real uh, crazy thread going in all throughout. Uh, I feel yeah, kind of ripped kind of... off. Like I only have three names, and I know some people only have two names. Like, <laughs> I feel like there should be a limit. Like you're not allowed to just give somebody eight or nine names. You have to you have to pick the ones that actually mean something. Are you muted, Gabe? Yeah, she yeah, uh she's uh she's kind of uh I think she's a uh full on fabrication construct. I mean, I'm not saying she's a doppelganger clone or anything, but like that name just fits the Aeon card oh too well. And we've if talked someone we'd... said it if she was a clone though, would you be like, Oh, I never would have guessed that? There was no indication you'd be not, like Yeah, I would oh, not be okay. surprised. <laughs> no, I would not be surprised. You know, uh but she does. She fits the um the story of Hephaestus, who uh, uh, traps her own uh, Hephaestus traps his mother in the throne, and then he flips the roles on her, and he starts to interrogate her as to how his life came to be uh, so shitty. Which is exactly what uh, old Greta is known for. You know, how dare you? She's lecturing to adults, and then all of her followers, her minions, are gluing themselves, sticking themselves to. Uh, the constructs of civilization, such as thrones and art pieces. Uh, so, yeah, there's something really profound about the Hephaestosian uh, spirit that she embodies, which is the Aeon card. Yeah, I'm trying to find, again, finding the other works of this guy to see what he was on, but I'm not having any luck because this guy is just so obscure. There's literally only... The a voyage to the world of Cartesius, and then they say he wrote other stuff, and I'm looking, and I'm not finding. So look at this occult book club number ten. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna be the now we're gonna be like one of the more formal authorities on this guy, right? Yeah, we're gonna be like esotericist on this uh, particular. Oh, so I got a, I got a couple of notes about the the old man's friend apparently who was Father Marcenus. Uh, and, and I didn't get into this because this was like deep, deep in the weeds. But since we got Gabe here, 
to break it down. Like the, Gabe is the weed whacker, right? And he's the esoteric weed whacker. So here, this this is just a little excerpt that I I grabbed from it. So he was saying, um, <clears throat> the whole reason that this guy got introduced to the old man and went on his journey is because he reads this letter that was about meditations and the meditations I think is implied is this father Marcenus's um, knowledge of Descartes going on these trips. He would call them meditations, right? When he blasts off into the universe for a couple hours, he was on like a meditation. I think that's what they were implying here because that's also what Descartes, you know, he would go and sleep for a long periods of time. He wasn't sleeping. He was taking DMT trips and learning about the universe. Right. Um, so it says that, one of the the actual works by father um was in genism and it says it was written as a commentary on the book of genesis and comprises uneven sections headed by verses from the first three chapters of genesis on the first site the book appears to be a collection of treaties on various miscellaneous topics however a researcher has shown the principle of unity in the work as a polemic goal against magical and divinary arts Kabbalism, animistic and pantheistic philosophies. So he actually would write about like not believing in magic, um, which is interesting because in the book they tell him multiple times, "Don't worry, we're not going to a witch's Sabbath. Like this is all science. We're talking about the original elements, and and here's the formulas, and here's how light works." Um, but in the middle of their adventure, they see the Chinese Mandarin wizard fly by on the comet. And that one throws me for a loop because it's like, well, is it not a witch's Sabbath? And there's there's not magic going on, but they imply that magic does exist. And they also mentioned that the DMT is almost like I'm going to I'm going to oversimplify, but they mention it almost as like a karmic free way to get access to this realm whereas all the philosophers before them they had to kind of pair up with uh, a demon or they had to do something with the devil or with witches sabbath um so that that's what made me so interested in this book is like that that fills so many gaps where like the the shaman way even if it's not the same as just being able to meditate and immediately get yourself there great we'd all love to be able to be so enlightened you just close your eyes and you're talking with god but taking these psychedelics could be like the non sinful karmic free way to get there as opposed to, you know, literally summoning demons and actually doing like horrible things just to broaden your horizons. Now I don't have to go and like torture an entire family just to broaden my spectrum of like what's good and bad, right? Like you have to observe and go through the worst possible tragedies in order to appreciate the opposite of that. If you go by that kind of dichotomy, but the DMT is just like, bam, there's you know, your spectrum just went from this to this by just going, Broom, and then now you're there. So I don't know. That, that That's the part that I find the most fascinating. But, but that Mandarin dude on the comet, bro, what do, you, what do you get about that? Oh, that is such a good question. Uh, you were, I love that you pointed out how consistent it was. It wasn't, you know, it was implied. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, uh, they didn't dwell on about it. It was just like, well, and and they also just drop the tiniest little seed early on, and they say that the herb, no one like Descartes wouldn't tell anyone what it was or where it came from, but they knew that it came from a small island off the coast of China. And then they see this Chinese dude flying through on a comet, you know, full of magic, and they know him. So I'm like, that's their dope man, bro. That's the that's the connect, right? He's the plug. <laughs> yeah, that and was it, such. 
that was such a trip. Uh, and you keep posting Yale, bro. And Yale also had a little, a little helper. But Yale, that money came from the the opium trade out of China. So really, uh, it, yeah. So, but it to me, there's like this this really strange difference between the two. Whereas the Chinese herb, I think it might be um, a reference to Syrian rue or some other very common grass that that happens to have DMT in it if you process enough. Well, we're that's we're like. That's the thing, though, Thomas, because you keep mentioning DMT. We don't truly know if it was DMT that these guys were using. We don't know what it is. No, there's there's absolutely nothing to go into. I've, but I've been doing this in particular, this subject for the last year or so, so trying to figure out. like, And that's how I came across this book in the first place is because outside of this book, there's not a lot of admission of that like our ancient philosophers i'm going to call ancient but our philosophers of documenting drug use and then attributing the information that they're gaining to that drug use so explicitly this is the only book this old um that that talks to kind of like modern philosophy that documents this of course i'm, I'm there's this all this conspiracy as well the descartes die of poisoning and i'm reading through this and, and look at the cover to the to the journal that posted it <laughs> got the two the two pillars there and i don't know if that's a boat or what that is but i just found that funny but the idea that he was perhaps poisoned and they're they're going on about i'm just reading through here quickly to see if emdekar could not finish this holy day standing erect in the margin letters by he felt himself so violently attacked by the evil from which he had tried to protect himself that the day before he was compelled to go to bread precisely at the time M. Janus had started. But to this leave. just sounds like the homunculus is acting up. You know what I mean? Like the homunculus wasn't doing his job or someone came in and started asking deeper questions and just like, hey, bro, you OK in there? You know, they weren't just accepting like, yeah, go away. They're like, you've been in there for I forgot how long it was. It was supposed to be like three or four days straight. So he says here, he, how did the sources describe Descartes' illness and what do they tell us about his symptoms since Van Woolen and Bilet, which is the guy that's written biographies on, on Descartes, reckon with an illness that lasted 10 days. Descartes apparently fell ill on February 2nd, so two days ago, on the day of Candle Mass. Bilet is the only source for the event of this day, so this Bilet guy is the in wow. the early morning of february 3rd according to shooter's report Descartes was not able to go and meet the queen as planned on the morning of february 3rd at about 4 a.m he developed a high fever as he was about to go to the library as he he was was wont to do every morning in order to see the queen there the fever arose as he said and attacked him so strong that his stomach was put on a strain and he thought that the natural fire in him had almost been extinguished. He felt great cold and pain in his head, took only three or four spoonfuls of brandy on this day and did nothing but sleep the following two days. Okay. So yeah, chill. It aligns with the book, man. The, the book explains exactly what's going on. So that's all I can hear now is that he just wasn't in his body at that point. Right. But it was so and, and you guys launched launched this project on the anniversary of his death. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. I didn't even know that. Yeah, dude, we did actually. 
So and and no and and check this out and close to the uh, check out homeboy's birthday. February eighth, Gabriel Daniel. February eighth. Good lord. Hold on, hold on. Give me give me one second. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Give me one second. Twenty twenty eight is a. That's the axial tilt of the uh, differential of the elliptic plane of the Earth to the moon. So this guy died February. So Descartes died 211, and this guy was born 28. Gabriel Daniel was born 28. So it's profound. That's it's weird. A, it's also a, uh, it's a moon code because 28 is a month. It's also a Saturnian return. That's a pretty significant number, the two to the eight. That's nuts, man. We are in the hot spot for these fellas right now. And I, I didn't get to point this out in the episode, too, but this book, I believe, was published or conceived in 1776 or one of the earlier, um, uh, one of the first coverages of it, I think. It was in 1776, which is also kind of a hot number for Jesuits, right? Like, that is exactly where the Bavarian Illuminati came from, was from a Jesuit college in Ingolstadt. Right. It's also 888 times two. Uh, all kinds of sacred numerology baked into that one. Uh, now, other people will, you know, be wise asses. My buddy Davin, he's always like, well, it's 444 times four, <laughs> which I kind of like that. That's even cooler. Uh, but it is. It's, <laughs> it's sacred numerology, no matter how you slice it. And this is this is interesting here because they talk about how. But he eventually agreed to the bloodletting and was bled three times last Tuesday. But that's really what killed him. I mean, but check this out. that's what killed him. But only rotten blood, which was all yellow, came to light. That's weird. Wow. Right? Yellow yeah. blood. Never even heard of that in my life. Well, I mean, it sounds like pus. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The plasma. Uh also, uh, this is this sounds like it uh, is going to sink in uh, and harmonize with the way that um, uh, Washington passed away. Uh, he came down with the cold from being out in the in the snow in the elements for too long, pushed it, didn't wear his coat, came back. And uh, he lived in absolute agony for the last like 24, 48 hours because they were leeching him. They were bloodletting him and it was just getting worse and worse. And. We're pretty sure his wife was like switching out the wills and there were multiple wills getting kind of scrambled around. And then uh, we think there were probably secret wills uh, also. Uh, but in the end, something that came to light from Washington's will was that he uh, he had a, a lover, his black slave. He had a black slave who lived with him on, on the property and he uh, he allowed a life stipend for that slave to and, and that one favored slave was allowed to uh, stay on washington's property uh with full payment for the rest of his life it was his homunculus uh, it, i'm sorry to say it, it but it might be the homunculus or at I least link, it has the pattern and i link this and this is this is going to be very controversial but i'm sure that thomas has run across this but the there's a book that I read, The Delectable Negro. Now that's it's got to do with with cannibalism and all this stuff. But the idea that and correct me if I'm wrong, Thomas, because you'd be more knowledgeable. What the fuck are you trying to say, no, man? It, it, hear me out. That in 
what is it? Melanin, what makes your skin darker? The idea that that produces adrenochrome faster. It's the other way around. So can you so can it, you clear ad, that up? So ad, adrenochrome comes from the oxid oxidization of adrenaline, and as it like so it starts as adrenaline, and then as your body uses it up and you know expends it or just decides not to use it, it basically dissolves and turns into adrenochrome. And if adrenochrome continues to dissolve and break down, it eventually becomes um, melanin. And Whoa. in fact, if you look, there's there's a condition called black eye or black cornea syndrome, where an actual black disc will start to form on your cornea. And it it's actually caused from an adrenaline eye drops that they used to give to people. But in the, this case, the adrenaline would basically decompose within your eye turn into adrenochrome and then the adrenochrome would turn into melanin but it would just sit there in your eye because it wasn't didn't have access to get into the bloodstream um so anyways it, it's that's a whole rabbit hole too especially when you look into like the adrenochrome black eye club well here's the thing literally a condition called black cornea that book that i mentioned it has accounts of allegedly slave owners we're talking about George Washington and his his slaves, even if, oh, they were treated better. No, they were still slaves. There were still people that were chained up and were used for labor and were treated horribly. But the idea that some of these slave owners ate their slaves, ate the black people. Some of these, I forgot which is the, the account. One of them was burned alive and his fat was used for candles as wax. His fat. It's, it's not just eating them. It's it's actually torturing and then eating them, which again ties into the adrenochrome thing, because as you force someone to go through large bouts of lengthy stress, they just release nonstop adrenaline. That's all they're doing is their body is taking every single chemical it has at its disposal and it is using it to create adrenaline and then it's using it to create all the the compounds that are required that break that adrenaline down so that it doesn't just overwhelm, um, you know, your heart and give you a heart attack. So that's what's happening. If you're getting tortured, either physically or mentally, the exact same result is being produced. Your body is just creating, you know, obscene amounts of adrenaline, fresh adrenaline. So in these regards, they would actually torture and kill and then eat because now any of the blood or the flesh that you consume is going to be extremely high in adrenaline, adrenalutin, and adrenochrome. All right, so I know this is gonna, this is probably going to get nuked off of YouTube. I don't know. I'll put this episode on YouTube. But Nat, the death of Nat Turner was the one that Turner's body was chopped and cooked after his execution, according to Newberry Alexander. The bones were divided, and the fat from the body was used to manufacture soap. So it wasn't candles. It was actually soap. Lamp covers and pocketbooks were manufactured from his skin. Many believed his death was made of a symbol of warning. It was a, made a symbol of warning to other would-be insurgents. No way. There's no way that's all it was, was a warning. So <laughs> Turner's, Turner's headless bones were presumably buried in an unmarked grave. He never received an official burial. But check this out because it gets, it gets even worse. The act instilled panic in South, Southerners, thereby putting a stop to the region's organized independent struggle. Instead, southern states adopted even tougher restrictions against black slaves. Now, Turner's skull, the former mayor of Gary, Indiana, Richard G. Hatcher, wanted to establish a library of civil rights museum for which he was handed over a skull in 2002 that was likely to be Turner's. And also, I don't know if it was this one or was another one where apparently there was this girl that had a, I think like a small 
bag or wallet or something made from the skin. I don't know if it was Nat Turner's skin, but uh, the skin of a of an African American slave. Uh, but look at this. They took the skull too, and they had it, and they handed it over in 2002 to this guy that was likely to be Turner's. So we have the skull and bones connection there of these people that were, again, I don't know. Hatcher gave the skull to two Turner's relatives in 2016. It is still in, it, since it is still uncertain whether the skull belongs to Nat Turner. His family has handed over the skull to the Smithsonian Institute for DNA testing to confirm whether the remains are indeed Nat Turner's. However, the family does not intend to keep the skull and wishes to bury it with his progeny, but that is dependent upon whether the results match. I don't know whatever happened with that. So uh, Turner's is a anagram for returns, which is a banking term. Um, and uh, recently, there's a really fascinating thread over with Walter Bosley's research. He's tying a th- he's tying a strong thread to a uh, exiled Napoleon after the Napoleonic Wars, uh, pulling a switcheroo with, with his brother which he is known to have done. We publicly know that he's, his brother has taken the fall for him in certain ways in the past. So the individual who is uh, recorded to be Napoleon in exile is actually his brother taking the fall, and the true Napoleon stayed stateside here in the Americas, married into some royal, uh, probably Plantagenet family lines, and then went on to fund the Smithsonian. In that thread, it's a tentative thread. It's a speculative, tentative, Walter Bosley, one-of-a-kind thread. It's a very powerful thread for me uh, because the uh, the Louisiana Purchase, it generates a very special shape in the, uh, in the state boundaries. It generates the shape of a sphinx. Uh, a lot of people see that old Chef Boyardee that's the profile outline of the Mississippi River but you can expand it beyond a single dude in one column standing upright. There's actually wings going all the way up to Idaho. And the whole thing is a, a Sphinx statue in the state boundaries of the U S and that's the, pretty the Louisiana purchase, man. I don't know. I don't think anyone can, can clearly uh, comprehend how important the Louisiana purchases, the bankers I used to, I used to have to put in like these huge systems for like AG Edwards and Merrill Lynch and all these like, banking firms but I, I have to tell you the one thing that was constant in every one of these firms is that every one of like the high execs would have the freaking louisiana purchase just like bronze statues and posters and like you know replicas just all like enshrined on all the top level floors um and i mean wow it, the, the louisiana purchase is basically regarded as like the best deal in the history of banking right it's like yes. um so it's just it's seen as like Whatever you're doing in banking, just try to repeat the Louisiana Purchase. Um, but it's amazing yeah. how much it just persists throughout the entire like DNA and mantra of that. Easier world. said than done, though, right? Yeah. Well, Man. I mean, it, it's, it wasn't a normal business deal for sure. Yeah. So this that's really profound. You're saying that. So it was went for fifteen million dollars. Fifteen is a devil card. The feet of the devil card. Uh, it is in my territory's map. This that card is Louisiana. The devil card 15 is the number of the card and louisiana is in the shape of the feet of this lion and it has a lot to do with lafayette and lafitte the pirate's name and uh in a whole long a whole mystery going on with that but it's that pretty pulls profound. into mk ultra too believe it or not man because the guy that was behind operation midnight climax 
his roommate was a guy that went by Pierre Lafayette and he claimed to have been a uh, blood relation to the pirate Lafayette. Wow. And don't That's forget a- L. Ron Hubbard's name. His first name was Lafayette. No, get the hell out of town. Let me confirm it for you. L. Ron Hubbard. His first name was Lafayette Ronald Hubbard. Oh my god. He was magical, bro. Gentlemen. I mean that uh, he was oh a tal- he was a homunculus. He was a talisman of some sorts, hundred percent. Oh yeah. So these uh almost everything you guys were laying out with that Descartes. DSLs, bro. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> they just look like they're ready to wrap around something. <laughs> So, so everything you guys laid out in your, in that, uh, Descartes voyage, uh, project, I think is the route to, uh, uh, this, to maybe many breakaway civilizations. I think they're outside of, uh, government. So MK means mind control. Government means governamentus means mind control. So MK means government ultra means beyond. So MK Ultra means either beyond mm-hmm. governance or it means governed from beyond. Mm-hmm. It has. I can it get is, down with that. I can get down with yeah, that for sure, man. Yeah, man. So these guys, they are outside of what jurisdictions we generally adhere to uh, systematically, which puts them, I would say, in the wilderness. This puts them in the jurisdiction of Artemis, the goddess of the wilderness, where there's uh, there's no insurance, there's no paperwork, there's no paper trails. You're actually dealing in equity, where your hands are clean. There's no receipts, there's no paper trails. Mm-hmm. So you're dealing in favors. Everything is favors. So a lot of sovereigns they want to get w- in with equity. They want to master equity and understand how equity works. And the bad news for them is that's the blackmail blackmail industry. And here we have a very interesting word, black mail you are in the wilderness and it's run under with blackmail and influence and favors and strings pulling on your shame the cords of your shame uh it's a very diabolical uh jurisdiction uh and and it sounds nice and fluffy from where we are but you get outside uh, plus ultra from government and uh and the liabilities are endless i'll just say it that way i don't even think we're that far man because it for example, blackmail used to require, if we talk about it, let's go back to Bavarian Illuminati because it's one of my favorite examples of it. In order to get in, you would have to turn over all your diaries and private correspondence, and then you would be required to keep a diary and write down all your um, interactions with people and the things that you did and the things that you were learning about, and then continuously turn that over to whoever was above you, eventually you know, bubbling up to the top of the pyramid, which was Item Weishaupt, um, and, and oh my gosh, Baron von Nijs. But But... This was essentially a blackmail operation because that's what intelligence agencies do. They collect damaging information and then say, we're going to tell everyone about this thing unless you do this other thing. And that just goes on forever. Well, in modern day, you don't even have to send that up to the guy above you. You're just uploading your status and you're posting your pictures and you're basically incriminating yourself nonstop across multiple, like we're doing it right now, right? We're documenting uh, covert thoughts and then posting it to the very industries and companies that are potentially against those covert thoughts. Um, <laughs> right. So like we, we are doing half of the hard work for all of these corporations and secret societies um, in just one fell swoop, right? And look what's here. Plus ultra, of course, with 
daddy donald trump that look dude that looks like a mechanical turk right there <laughs> <laughs> they're like if you go under the desk there's like a little dude just winding it with gears <laughs> yeah a little homunculus operating yeah. this thing right here 100 percent. but yeah this so, idea that they are governed from beyond we know who we know which esoteric scholar has written about that before without saying their name because there's people watching but this thing here this has been a conspiracy for a long time yeah man so one if the okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna tell a little side story and then we'll, i want to come back to the black male key component so when, uh, right around when washington uh died uh the yellow fever was kicking off and so there was a plague raging across the land this was a turning of an age and uh everybody was terrified because they thought that these mosquitoes bringing the yellow fever were from Hades. So everybody was quarantined in their house. Meanwhile, Thomas Jefferson in the beginning is he's uh, advocating for vaccinations. He's writing in newspapers that this is a good thing. We should all get the poke poke. Later on, he he actually eats those words publicly, which they've snuffed that out. It's hard to find him saying he wishes he hadn't promoted vaccinations. But the public believed that Haitian people, that black males were ideal for mail carriers, that they could. And so they actually used them to take over the mail system so that uh, so the Pony Express could still run. And so this is fascinating because whenever there's an overthrow of the government or a change of uh, of real power structure behind the scenes, they also change up the foundation of whatever the mail system is. The mailing system. And so with all of that in mind, and the fact that Haitians were the ideal delivery or carriers, but they were also considered the carriers of the of the disease that brought the yellow fever at the same time. It's like duplicitous in this really remarkable way. Dude, I, I hope I've got something to vibe on when you're done here. Well, yeah, I just want to say that maybe they were using the illiteracy of the of these slaves from Haiti so that they could convey messages that they were unable to read or even, you know, disseminate in their on their own. So they were kind of occulted from knowing the messages they were using. Uh, but also we know that that's where uh, voodoo's and uh, uh, that form of mind control and the founding father of Haiti's was uh, Mesmer. Mesmer is on the signing oh, documents. Mesmer, yeah. He was on the signing documents of Hades. Okay, rant done. So you mentioned the yellow fever. Um, and man, this I don't <laughs> recently I came across this really interesting story I had never heard before, and it, and it caught me by surprise. It's called Yellow Rain. And apparently in 1981, um, the the US accused Russia of drugging everybody with a mycotoxin and that they were spraying mycotoxins in the air. And it was basically a, like a biological warfare uh, sort of initiative. But, and I don't know which part of this one is true. Like this is all, all true, but then they um, basically found out that what the CIA was claiming was yellow rain was actually bee fecal matter. And that bees can go, I think like weeks or months at a time without pooping. And then they just all of a sudden just start pooping like maniacs. And it comes out as this like yellow, like gooey looking pollen. So, but, but depending on what the pollen that the bees were eating, it may or may not have actually 
um, sort of passed on mycotoxins from what they were grabbing. But anyways, this concept of yellow rain um, and bee vomit slash poop in these massive quantities and then the CIA coming into the... Uh, and, and again, this was... They were trying to blame the yellow rain on trying to spread malaria and a whole bunch of other like really horrible sort of diseases. But wow. in the end, it was allegedly just bee poop. Right. So all back in those days, the word yellow, it meant coward. You know, we don't say it that way anymore, but they, you know, they used to, what are you, yellow? What's a melon? You know, I got a yellow belly. Uh, and that's really fascinating that uh, the name of the disease back then had the cultural implication of being a coward or fearful. Well, so and also like in a, yellow journalism, it was implied to be like deceitful or propagandist or. Yes. Yes. So they, yeah, the, it's fascinating that there's a just subtle twilight language going all the way back to back then. And we've lost the cultural context for it. And we just think of it single mindedly, but. Well, that's just a fancy way of saying mythology developing. Like we've lost the original interpretation. Like that's, you know, that's how sort of like um, balls of fawn turns into Zeus. It's like the same thing. You just lose a little bit of the nuance and, um, you know, the, the story becomes a little simplified so you can tell it to your kids easier and it's easier to remember. And that just that's, keeps happening over and over. That's so true. Yep. It makes it a quick, uh, rapid delivery system if you just hone it all down. And the truth is always so much more nuanced and interesting. So Sometimes it depends on how much you like the truth. Some people, once you get into the truth, uh, it, it can get boring just because it's it's not just like the easy, quick solution answer. Mm -hmm. uh, but the interesting stuff is when you spend, you know, months digging into something and then you find these weird nuggets. I'm balls deep right now on some. I'm in the Cambridge Descartes lexicon and I'm looking up more stuff on this Gabriel Daniel guy. And apparently, dude, it's kind of funny because it says that let's see here one of the things i found interesting was here let me see if i can pull it up uh let's see and then so we read this one right the 1691 correct but then it says here followed by an expanded edition and well, no, the one we read was, I think, from 1694. Yeah, that's when it was. So. Yeah, that, that particular publisher published it again. But followed by an expanded edition, would that be the one that we looked at? Well, we read the English translation, so I would assume that whoever translated it into English probably used the most recent version, but I don't, I don't know for sure. Damn, dude. What was like an entire different version that we're not even... <laughs> <laughs> you got to learn French first and not just any French, but, you know, um, late 17th century French. So I'm going to do a quick numero numerology drop on that. 1694 adds up to 20 and the Aeon card, which is Arriga the charioteer, is card number 20. So that's gratifying. And then it tells me to see Vortex for some reason uh, on the... In this lexicon, which I'm trying to look for Vortex 757. Let's see what happens when we look up Vortex. Let's see here. So and as you're looking for that, I'm going to I'm going to read um, one part that I didn't get to where he talks about the three vortices uh, with the three heavens. So he says that 
the first heaven is nothing but a vortex where you place the earth and the center is the body of the sun about which celestial matter which composes the vortex carries us and makes us turn continuously like other planets um, and then he mentions that the second heaven um, has many suns with each sun being a vortex and that the the, the third heaven um, is basically void of any bounds so it can't even be defined at that point so here it says the theory of vor vortical celestial mechanics that sounds awesome as pres presenting the principles of philosophy and the world is the engine room of Descartes' system of natural philosophy. So here, theory, we, theory with an indefinitely large chunk of divinely created matter or extension in which there are no void spaces whatsoever. When God That's such a crazy concept, man. Because all you see, right? Like, where's my hand? It's just separated by space. But it, but according to this, it's not. Like, every every single bit between my eyes and my hand are completely filled with objects. It just happens to be mm -hmm. fluid objects. Which is true, but uh, it's just amazing that the, they had this much intuition back then. We have wax. What does wax have anything to do with it? Huh. Uh, wax is, this is a trip. Uh, wax like, is serra, and um, I think that's in Latin. And it is also uh, your brain, the cerebellum. So your brain, like wax, can be remolded and reshaped with language. And also like the waxing and the waning of the moon. Well, didn't um, you just mention bees? Yes. yes fresh from call. the honeycomb and still retain the scent of flowers that bees had visited as a white and solid, but when put by the fire becomes liquid and transparent, can be formed into countless shapes. The senses of sight and touch inform us only of its temporary states. This, that's Plato's realm of forms. This is Plato's realm of forms we're like talking around. It is intellectual so the, reason that tells... Yeah, so it's like... Got to do with like yeah. thoughts and the mind. Yeah, so, what the so that's what I came away from this book was that what what Descartes, or at least what this guy was writing about, was that everything started with those Platonic ideal solids with their perfect edges. Yes. Um, but then as those slam into each other because of this creation of the universe, all those perfect edges and all those perfect shapes get all bent out of shape from you know just smacking into each other constantly. Um, so like. It's almost like the only way to get back there is for us to return to the, like the original form, but then everything ceases to exist. Yeah, but that 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 gets kind of racist, right? Because you're talking how does about that get racist? because, dude, it's like how who can go there and who is allowed to go there, and I mean, I think that's what look at. I don't know if it was you and I that were talking about because this kind of sort of plays into Nietzsche, where he's talking about the Ubermensch, where it's like this. High, the highest form of man, the highest possible form that is able, the superhero, right? That is able to overcome nihilism, but overcome anything that's presented in his way. And then who used that ideology? Who took that and ran with it? Come on, Thomas. You know, well, I got I to gotta point <laughs> out that there was, there, was, there was a bad chain of custody with Nietzsche's work. That too, uh, he, yeah. <laughs> yes, his sister. His sister took his work, and she married uh, a religious extremist. A high, who was like high ranking, yeah. Yes, and uh, and Hitler attended her wedding, and Nietzsche did not. So, to some degree, and here we go again with the: if you want to change the world, you got to give somebody else the credit. 
Well, that also means if you want to change the world, you got to blame somebody else too. Mm-hmm. It's another way to see the but, same and thing. Plus Hitler was obsessed with and allegedly obtained the spear of destiny, but that doesn't make the spirit of destiny all of a sudden, like an evil relic, right? Like it, it would still yeah. remain a holy relic. Yes, yeah, it's how yeah, you use it. Point. It's in the it's in the in the hands of the yeah of the wielder, right? Whoever's holding it and what they do with it, because he can either is it the spirit of destiny that can either harm you or heal you? Is that the one? Am I thinking about the the right one? Yeah, I don't know how yeah. the how would the spirit of destiny heal you anyways? Just because it's it's a holy relic and it touched the blood of God. So I want to I want to make a wild claim, guys. I want to make a wild claim. You? Yeah, yeah, I man. don't believe it. Get ready. <laughs> The Enneagram came from the beekeepers. The Sufi cult is called the beekeepers. My current project right now is proving out that the Enneagram and the the actual movement of this vortex mathematics is blocked out like a theater production in Plato's Symposium. And so Plato's Symposium has uh, provenance, it has a chain of custody, and it went through all of the philosophers, and Nietzsche wrote about them systematically. And so I'm going to say that, so another name for the Plato Symposium was the touchstone of the Greeks. That is very profound. That is a very important thing everybody should put in their pocket and keep forever, I'm going to claim. Um, I believe that this is Medusa, the Gorgon. I believe that this is Gordian's knot that Alexander cut in half. I believe that this is the sword in the stone. I believe this is the spear of destiny. I'm listening to uh, Nietzsche's analysis of all these philosophers, and I think every single one of them was handing this Enneagram system around in the backdrop, in the background. And I can actually put uh, Nietzsche's heroes into the Enneagram system as archetypes, as living embodiments of the concepts that were born in Plato's Symposium originally. And I'm telling you guys, I think this is all the things, like we're talking about it can heal you or it can cut you. Well, every station of the Enneagram has an ascended healing aspect that can actually build you up or play to your strengths, but it also reveals your weaknesses. It's do, it's it's has it's two-faced. It's um it's like Janus. It's like uh, Manichaean dualism. It has all the metaphors baked into the essence of it. And I know that sounds wild because it's too simple. It's just a ring of nine numbers in a circle. But once you get your head around it, you can. I've, I have proven to myself, and I'm working on it on my, in my project right now, that it is also the blocking and the framework for Star Wars. Uh, I can probably do – I'm thinking about doing the same thing with um, – uh, uh, pandemonium where uh, uh, Lucifer, the story of Lucifer falling, M- Milton's lost, paradise lost, Milton's paradise lost. Uh, there are nine demons who come together and they have a um, a conspiracy, a divine conspiracy, these nine demons. And I want to go through that story and run it through the Enneagram. I bet Plato's Symposium is going to jump to life out of the whole thing. Uh and I know that's a wild claim, and I feel I feel like an ass trying to oversimplify everything into something uh, that you can that you don't even I don't need to I can erase this. It can be you can burn all the books, 
This knowledge will come back to life later. This is the perineogram of all wisdom. Perennial wisdom is alive and well in this thing. And I think when it comes to the surface and it gets revealed too much, that is when they start burning books. That's when the uh, Library of Alexandria uh, gets laid to ashes. Gurdjieff said that the Enneagram will render entire libraries obsolete. And I fucking believe him because this thing, the shape of it, the way it moves is the true essence of human nature. So some of the people that Nietzsche was analyzing was, uh, this is just, this is why it's really difficult to, to bring everybody on the journey because there's so much backing up my words. I feel like you kind of got to take, take well, my you know word what? for it. I think we're like fish swimming in water a little bit here. Cause you said Gurdjieff, which is, I would say not on the most accessible side of the spectrum when it comes to like his esoteric and philosophy, Ooh. but something that I found out uh, earlier this week that blew my mind is that the lady that wrote the original story, Mary Poppins was a disciple of Gurdjieff personally. Ooh. She Ooh. was also a direct student of Carl Jung. Um, so this one person, and she had all sorts of ties of theosophical society. And just yeah. the, the list goes on. That was on one on. of my favorite movies growing up, bro the the mary dude the the mary poppins movie is in has an intense backstory <laughs> but but really? you mentioned gurdjieff and mary poppins if you look at the whole story about lady comes from the sky um all of the 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 chim chimney sweep that song chim chimney is based on two very ancient yiddish russian uh folk songs that are talking about a woman that's trying to escape her horrible upbringing and wants to literally enter the flaming center of a star or a comet and leave the earth uh, in this thing. And that's where the origin of the Chim Chimney song comes from. And also all of the, the symbology of like, if you shake the hands of a chimney sweep or if you rub their, their, um, their shoulder or their arm, and if you get soot on you, that was seen as good luck. Um, so like the, the whole entire movie of Mary Poppins, hundred percent occult magic. It's a, uh, it's all about, and she's a horrible person. If you rewatch it, it's horrible. And the movie ends talking about, um, the Boston tea party leading to the American revolution, which caused the run on the British banks run by, uh, Nathan Rothschild that this is all in the Mary Poppins, uh, book and movie, by the way, I, you, you probably don't remember it because as a kid, it's just like dancing penguins and yeah, they're, you know, <laughs> sugar and, you know, uh, um, sugar makes everything nice. Let me but see which is, one, which is the one that I watched. Let me, let me double check. Hold on. The one I watched it was, was probably it? the 1964. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. All right. That is, it is <laughs> alchemical. Uh, she's actually a heart. She, I would, I would actually argue that. Uh, the chimney sweep dick van dyke is a homunculus uh because he's the little black yeah, chimney all right, let's man. go ahead and move on dude um, <laughs> did you guys did you guys see uh dick van dyke's public announcement recently he came, he came no he came on he put he did an announcement he's got a little reading script and his hands can barely hold still it's hard to believe he's actually reading the paper because he's shaking so much but he's got a huge sty in his eye it's immense it's it's a whole it's a total it's distraction. Ninety seven. Oh my god, bro! And guess what's in the background while he's reading the script? There's a dummy, a soot like a chimney sweep dummy, doppelganger with a red scarf around its neck in the background. the The whole thing is just signaling to the max. And, and let me point out also that we have right now we have a uh, 
a comet and the comet is going through the chimney of the of the of the celestial spheres it's going to cut right through the north uh the north pole the polaris and so they're putting out this chimney sweep as this comet is sweeping over the chimney of the uh of the celestial alignment in the north pole uh and also i would say that maybe the uh the old umbrella you know it's it's a young or no it's a freudian symbol because it's phallic it pops open but then freud hands it's like also a torch or a mantle he hands that to to carl jung but i would say that if you look at the enneagram in a certain light it could be a kilted umbrella because it has those crisscrossing spokes on the interior of the umbrella so if you look at an enneagram you might also it could be encoding the the uh an umbrella to those who are in the know oh and by the way umbria Umbria is the hombres. This is the brotherhood. This is a symbol of the brotherhood. And also, it doesn't just shield you from the rain uh, and the elements. It also shields you from the light. Good call, which is the only place where cacao can grow in the shadiness. Juan, will you pull up that uh, cacao graphic? I've been blasting everybody. I've been blasting it all around on the telegrams. I think I put it on very recently it's got the flower in the middle this wednesday the day of descartes death uh we were doing a herb walk over on the interverse channel with uh, our buddy uh kyle from tippecanoe herbs and michelle from uh he- michelle's which Healing one Homes. do you want me to pull up the one with the flower on it you sound uh, a lot of uh, shit Gabe. A creepy, <laughs> it's got a cre- creepy looking flower and a big red flag in the middle so we were looking at an ana- and doing an analysis of cacao because we're moving into chocolate season. We're moving into Valentine's Day. Yeah, buddy. And he shows this flower, and I'm looking at this flower. It's a perfect picture. You look at any other picture of this flower, and you're not going to see it because it's not lined up exactly at the right perfect angle. So you can call me. Uh, you can say I've got some syn- synesthesia going on here, uh, which I, I w- might agree. But... I'm looking at the flower, and he's describing its scientific nature and how it's so important here in Valentine's Day because it opens up your heart chakra, your heart center, which, uh, without going too into the weeds, if we're in February now, the moon is filling up in Leo, and the Leo is the heart of the zodiac. So opening your heart during February is actually a moon spell, reflective, 180 across the zodiac to Leo. So your heart opening in uh, Valentine's Day is so profound and appropriate. But I'm looking at this thing and I'm thinking, that looks like Baphomet. But I'm not going to say anything. I don't want to ruin anybody's fucking uh, Valentine's Day plans. I don't want to tell people that the Dark Lord is uh, has dominion over their chocolate. <laughs> their chocolate. Why not? I mean, we're talking about Nestle essentially, right? I mean, yeah, <laughs> man. Just Here it comes. About Nestle is Baphomet. You got it. A spoonful of sugar makes this medicine go down real nice, right? Now check this out. The scientific name up there, theobroma. I happen to know that in a philology, you can, there's a very uh, rewarding method that you can take. When you see R and O, you convert it into the Greek P because it's a flag. This is a claim. This is a hallmark. This is a space filler. Uh, it's a very uh, powerful linguistical device, uh, sp- a spell, very powerful spell. So you pull the, the P 
out of the letters, and then you play with the remaining letters, and when you plug the P back in, you get Baphomet. And this makes crazy sense to me all of a sudden, because we know that the Knights Templars were imbibing in some sort of beverage that would open their heart. That is a quintessential cult technique. Is they were love drinking bomb. chocolate milk. They were they were drinking Nesquik, weren't they? <laughs> <laughs> totally, man. Totally. So then, uh, as I go in a little deeper on the name of the tree, it has this another anagram hiding within, and that anagram is Machiavelli, and that's kind of freaking me out because through the Nietzschean lens that I'm doing this breakdown on the Thoth deck in the Enneagram. I find out that he wrote extensively about Machiavelli and was quite tuned in to the Machiavellian methodologies. Now, something I want to say here is these guys are long dead in their, the spirit of their insight is grown, overgrown the, the life of a single human being. So when I say Machiavelli, I am speaking of the spirit of what has been taken up by others and proliferated in culture. So it's not just one man anymore. This is the spirit of Machiavelli and the methodology of knowing what Machiavelli was all about. And that really hit a chord for me. So I put this to, next to the Baphomet so everybody can see very obviously. It's even got the goat, you know, the hairs on the chin. It's And the the fruit of it looks like tatas, looks like a nice set or a nice rack of, of abundance. But now check this out, fellas. What was one of the rules to letting the homunculus take dominion over your body while you're gone? One of the rules was don't eat beans. You're right. You're right. Coffee, chocolate, they all come from a bean. And this is kind of freaking me out a little too much because uh, in communion, in communion, which is a initiation, you're drinking this chocolate, you're having a communion. In the book Communion, that individual was instructed not to eat the chocolate, and he did anyways. And because he did, the he was unable to impose his will. And the aliens, allegedly, from his story, and the aliens kind of had a, we'll just say, uh, they were able to compel him because he broke that agreement. And that's that goes back to Pythagoras, which freaked me out. I was, I was you, beat, you beat me to it. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Here we go. Here we go. Well, I wanted to throw in here too the another bean is the mezcal bean, uh, which could basically be a an analog or a source for mescaline. And if you think about tying in this Descartes, right? And then I'm going to say DMT. It could be many different things. If you look back at when all of these different plants were starting to get named and categorized around the same time, uh, 1500s, 1600s, they're, they're cataloging every single animal plant, everything, almost every single plant that was rumored to let you have some kind of communion with God was named, you know, devil's something, devil's grass, devil's root, devil's. So anything that you could take that gave you a shortcut immediately to this, you know, this other realm they got they named it as devil's things uh so so as you say baphomet right and that the knights templars are worshiping baphomet and they're worshiping satan this might also just be code for like they had that that good stuff right they had the connect yeah. to the dmt and that's what worshiping baphomet was and when they say don't eat the beans it's like don't spill the beans about the beans so this is funny because 
I looked up communion. Do not eat the chocolate because the the chocolate is at the core of the movie theaters, right? You eat chocolate at movie theaters. You eat chocolate during Valentine's Day. And don't they call it a... What's the thing when you eat it and it makes you horny? And, and Aphrodisiac. Is it an aphrodisiac or is it, mi- is it when you mix it with like something else that it makes you... I think it is. Yeah, I think it's an aphrodisiac that uh, is. It probably makes for a good vehicle for other accelerants of this of a similar nature. So, I would say. I looked up communion and chocolate, and I came across this <laughs> article: chocolate versus the, <laughs> versus the Catholic. Church. I looked up the communion and chocolate. What? <laughs> Whoa! But check this out. Check this out. Apparently, because chocolate wasn't. It, you know, has various forms, right? So apparently because cacao can be prepared in many different ways and take on both a solid and a liquid form, the main question was whether or not chocolate was liquid or solid. If it were deemed a food or a solid, if one consumed chocolate during a period of fasting, then one would be committing a mortal sin. Okay. So the controversy was even more complex because of the numerous nutritional Ingredients that can be added to chocolate, including maize, Mexican physician Juan de Cardenas began the debate in Mexico in 1591 by interpreting the word drink into two different ways. Okay, so we have this controversy at the church of if you're fasting, are you allowed to drink chocolate milk or chocolate itself? And Dominican, Dominican for August in David Padilla wrote in favor of consuming chocolate during the ecle- ecclesiastical fast. This ruling was favored among some members of the church because they like chocolate milk. Later, around 1636, Spaniard Antonio, this is in the 17th century, bro. Okay. If chocolate were concocted with plain water, it was merely a drink and did not break the fast. <laughs> Individuals continue to put forth arguments. So. This is church history. They're they're arguing whether you can drink chocolate or not. If uh, I uh, <laughs> if you look at the link I posted in the chat here, there's something called a chocolate shooter, which was a device created in the 1800s in which you would actually snort <laughs> chocolate instead of cocaine. Um, and this is a real thing. This actually, yeah, it's it says it dates back to the the early 19th century. Um, and I think recently there was a guy, there was like some famous, like a celebrity chef style guy that recreated one. You can actually order like a little chocolate shooter kit and it comes with the little apparatus and it comes with different types of powdered cacao beans so that you can actually snort it yourself. But I've never snorted anything. Thing. Does it hurt Thomas? I've never why, snorted. Why would I know? I've never snorted <laughs> anything in my life. So you I don't, could, I don't think I probably I'd feed it. You could feed it to the chocolate starfish. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want to do that either, but an odd invention. Yeah, it would, it would definitely hurt. I assume that snorting uh, chocolate would, would not feel good on your side. But check this. Chocolate has properties of being a stimulant, relaxant, euphorant, aphrodisiac, tonic, and antidepressant. So... And I'm going to call BS here, though. It says, in fact, c- uh, cacao and chocolate are not drugs. BS. They both... Mm-hmm. immediately result in the the release of dopamine in your brain the the exact same receptors that are triggered by 
anything else. I, I mean, that is the definition of a drug is something that you take from outside your body and put it in your body and it changes how your body, specifically your brain works. Whoa, so yeah. It does. Chocolate yeah. releases dopamine. It's a drug. Good call. Which spikes significantly. Okay, so do, so despite the <laughs> like what you're talking about, there has been <laughs> research that illustrates chocolate may have a drug-like effect. Yeah. University of Michigan, Michigan News reported a study on finding uh, finding on rat subjects which documented a surge in chemical called encephalin, encephalin, an opiate-like endorphin which spikes significantly when rats consume M&Ms, leading them to consume more than double the amount. Researchers found that the encephalin's me mechanism of action generates intense motivation to consume pleasant rewards. The same brain area we tested here is active when drug addicts see drug scenes. Yikes, bro. Okay. Damn. And I don't mention maybe feeling this strange renowned chocolate uh, called chocolate shooter. <laughs> it sounds wow. funny, but it's a real, I mean, this, this pre-exists any, anyone that you've ever met alive. Cause it's back in the 1800s. So was the yeah. cart snuffing cacao? Uh, the China, the China link, man, if, if we take him at his word that it came from off the coast of China, maybe, but I still am leaning towards something closer to Syrian Rue and Syrian Rue is like this mystical, still somewhat undefined thing, but there's a lot of links that say that it just links to a, uh, a very common type of reed grass, which in some cases can have DMT in it. All right. So I pulled up here, pulled up ancient psychedelics from china langtang yungshi fanku i could be saying all these wrong i'm just saying it like in a chinese accent or something just to be stupid but all can cause hallucinations in peoples in the past this significance has not been fully divulged so hallucinogenic plants in chinese herbals so we have huh, the chinese botanist ac academic they obscure the mind and alter one's consciousness. Where does it say that? Uh, right after the purple bit. Plants of this kind of all talk, which can obscure the mind, alter one's consciousness, and confuse one's perception. Look at this, bro. 1561, right? So 1561 would be about 100 years before the book was written. So this would have been maybe a generation or two before the old man. And it says, um, right here, it says, a wandering monk from 1561 of the Shensi province who possessed wizardry. Wait, where are you reading that, bro? Look at that. It's the, it's the, the, if you don't smooth, yeah, right there. That's it. That's the yeah. dude that possessed wizardry from it around over the hundred years before. Changshu. A reddish from... potion, bro. What's with this reddish, uh, you know, from um, your homeboy John D and Edward Kelly and Adrenaline. Yeah. This, uh, this, this is very likely. It's crazy uh, and violent. We're talking bro, he about killed them all. Wait, what? Chengxi visualized his entire family as all devils and thereby killed them all 16 altogether without any bloodshed. Tell me, tell me, and after taking a red potion, this sounds like a Wow. He then spat yeah. out two spitzfoons of phlegm, became conscious, and found himself that he killed his parents. Brothers, sisters-in-law, wife, son, sisters, and nephews. Damn, dude. That's, uh, that's in a Greek myth, too. Somebody... There's somebody from Greek mythology. It's a it's a little obscure, but they have the same thing. They go through a vision and kill a bunch of people, end up regretting it. 
Don't say it. Don't say the fucking word, Juan. <laughs> what? Oh. Uh, I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna maybe. I want to maybe put um, Red Mercury as a you know a potential culprit, which um, I've actually heard uh, a recipe that is very convincing to me. I haven't tried it myself. Uh, using a Tesla, a Tesla coil to transmute mercury, which is comes from red mercury, comes from Cinnabon, um, into gold. And some of the ingredients to do so requires a nail into a crucible, which is, these are the ingredients of the very sacred book, a nail on a crucible, uh, turning things to gold. When you say nail in a crucible, I think a sword in the stone, too. Dude, some of these some of these effects of these things are crazy. Like, check this out. For the seed when taken, when properly prepared for a prolonged period, enable one to walk for long distances, benefiting to the mind and adding to the strength and to communicate with spirits and seeing devils. When taken in excess, one can stagger madly. Then this one over here, the flowers could enable one to see spirits, and when taken in excess, could cause one to stagger madly if taken over a prolonged period. They produce somatic levitation and affect communication with spirits what does that even yeah, mean this, so this so the, the first one you were talking about is um a type of hensbane and hensbane would be scopolamine mm. uh, scopolamine being one of the very first psychedelics that the cia uh, was testing on people that they found that the nazis were testing in germany but scopolamine is also known as like the black death drug or like the devil's terror uh, it's the one that if you have enough of it just your entire reality becomes complete nightmare just a waking nightmare every every part of it okay i want to throw on the in the mix hb is a really nefarious uh moniker um and i think it it uh, one of many threads to the h hensbane right hb hensbane uh one of the many threads is you know the hunting of human beings but i think it also goes back to the black hand and the black hand is like those who uh were not to be named for a very long period of time. And they had a monopoly on a lot of these herbs and spices and intoxicants that we are, that we know were historically uh, very influential. Wow. Okay. And then I'm also seeing here, check this one out. This one was used by the Taoists records, how Taoists used the red variety. We know that the Taoists were also alchemists. So by boiling or brewing, it can take, it can be used for abdominal parasitic worms or for seeing spirits and for seeing spirits. So while you're, while you're cleansing, you might see some spirits floating around. Who knows? So the I red what kind that is, I can't find anything on this on which one, the one that you're reading right here, the, uh, the, the Fido Laca Akinosa. Uh, I mean, I found a couple pages on it, but none of them actually say what the active ingredient would be. Hmm. Oh, here we go. American Nightshade. And so, so Vitalaca Americana is what we call Nightshade. So this is sort of like a like yeah. a Chinese variant of Nightshade. Yeah, this which is I Tivo. think is also scopolamine. Hey. I'm not wrong. Nice. So Nightshade, we kind of sussed this out a while back on our herb walks with uh with Interverse. Uh, Nightshades is an anagram for Hades things. And this just kind of supports what you were saying about if they didn't want people uh, getting involved in the in the, the in these particular products, they would just put a scary name to them to keep people's hands off of them. Listen to this too. Uh, how did how did Descartes say he died? Was through horrible stomach pains and hallucinations. 
Um, so one of the ingredients of that particular drug, the, um, the Chinese nightshade and the American nightshade, it says uh, uh, toxic with a bitter taste um, and that it causes neurological disorders, abdominal pain, hallucinations, and headaches. Uh, and then it also um, goes on to mention the, the belladonna um, and datura. So these are these are all of that. That's scopolamine, hycosamine, and DMT essentially all combined into one. But we're we're kind of talking about scopolamine right now, which would be terrifying uh, to take and think that you're going to go and learn about philosophy. I don't know if anyone can learn philosophy <laughs> on scopolamine. <laughs> Honestly, this this might be one of those like like the the jukes, right? Like they're trying to make you think it's scopolamine and not let you know it's something else, which I still am going to think it's DMT, but, um, yes. but imagine yes. thinking that they gave you the recipe and you go and you find these Chinese herbs and it's just absolute hell like that. You would be seeing devils. That's exactly what they're describing there. Right. And isn't that and what Descartes said is that he was seeing like devils everywhere. Yeah. That the devils were trying to like take over him and he was having really, do any of those give you vivid dreams? Cause that's also remember yeah, well, you. So scopolamine is known as giving you waking nightmares. So you wouldn't realize that you're actually conscious and walking around because your entire reality feels like you're in a dreamlike state, but you're mm -hmm. seeing nightmares and you're feeling nightmares even as you're actively awake and you can talk to people. You're still in the middle of a, a waking dream, essentially. Whoa, yo, these would make dope ass shirts too. These these images that you made. I would definitely rock a shirt with that on it, bro. Yeah, dude, that is cool as hell. It's got we, his bottle. We should start doing shirts for every episode we do, like on the topic, I'd and put out like yeah. some. Look at that, like that. I would wear a Descartes smoking a blunt, or a I was trying to get one with the uh, like a straw in his nose, but it just it wouldn't play ball with me for that one. <laughs> <laughs> I got a couple weird ones, but nothing that that looked like he was doing anything specific. Well, why don't you show us the best ones? Because I know you have it randomly going around. Or I'll, I'll yeah. just click through some of them. So I love this idea of like... I really like these ones here. Wow. So, uh, you know, like um, one of Machiavelli's books that he spoke on uh, consistently was uh, Dante's Inferno. He would often refer to the fact that he had one by his side all the time. I think in his statuary, he's actually holding a copy of Dante's Inferno in his hand as though that were a crucial cipher for any Machiavellian oriented mm. mentalities going forward. Um, but Dante's Inferno is absolutely a psychedelic journey in, you know, into the, the beyond in it. In what's fascinating is DMT and Dante are so powerfully correspondent, not only in the sound of the title, but also in the fact that the beginning of the Inferno, it, the first uh, chapter is Inferno, where you would smoke something or put it in your stomach for digestion. It goes into the the uh, amphora of your stomach or your lungs. The next stage is Purgates, Purgatorio, where you either blow out the smoke or you puke and shit yourself, depending <laughs> on your drug here. That's nice. my kind so, of party. <laughs> yes. And then the, the third and final stage is Paradisio. And that's where you ascend on to whole other levels. And mm. so this rough outline fits so many drugs, but it just blows my mind that we call DMT DMT. And it is like a hand in a glove for the journey of Dante. 
which is uh, which is the cipher for Machiavelli. I recently read. got a message about Dante's Inferno, and let me read it here because they broke it down pretty interestingly. And he said something at the beginning that I want you to hear. So here you go. He says, "Oh, yeah, I came across. No, this is the wrong guy. I I got so many messages. Go ahead. Yeah, I got one more thing, and this is a stretch, uh, which is my specialty. Uh, But uh, Toxoplasmosis gondii has uh, TMD." as uh, significant hard consonants in the in the phrase but reversed toxoplasmosis gondii mm. has the initials of dmt uh, also intrinsic to the uh, into that word and i and we know that toxoplasmosis takes people into uh, crazy profound psychedelic uh, levels of consciousness and may have been harnessed and weaponized to a to a profound degree like can you imagine like boiling down cat uh the whatever the contents of many cats bladders and then serving it up for a mind control spell back in the days and that's conceivably what led to the black death uh in the the plagues of uh was that 1312 right after 1312 when uh uh Jacques Molay was burnt in front of Notre Dame mm and that was the the leader of the Knights Templar, no? Yeah, and the the you know those guys they they prof- they confessed under torture to have been worshiping the Baphomet, but also to kissing the ass of cats, yeah. which is how which is how toxoplasmosis would be administered. Maybe it might have even been boiled down again, mixed up with who knows what else, and then uh, given to the initiate to generate some kind of psychedelic. <laughs> Don't Next they also feed cat coffee beans and then they poop them out and then they it's like the most expensive. Maybe it's not cats, but there's like a certain. I could have sworn it was a cat. That you heard that before? No, it's like the most expensive weird. coffee on the planet. They feed it to some animal, and it goes through this digestive. Process. Are you sure that's not fake, bro? I've seen that. I know what you're talking the little, the little. Oh no, it's not fake. It's definitely not fake. Is it like a Whoa. lemur or something like that? Maybe it's a lemur. So check this out. This guy says I'm not gonna say his name because he, he he says he doesn't. He does. I'm not looking. Look, I'm just going to say this. But only have hundreds. Of, uh, I'm not interested in doing podcasting or that. So that's what he said. So he goes specifically D Demetri salvia and heroic doses of mushrooms and complete darkness. I have met thousands of entities. Remember many past lives and have insane amounts of information for anybody who wants it. But that Demetri is that. Haven't you talked to us about that before? That's a nickname for that's a street jargon for DMT. We oh. call it Dimitri. Okay. Slang. Okay. okay, yep. okay. I'm I'm yep. retarded. Get with get with the kids, man. Come on, dude. I'm not a <laughs> drug addict, Thomas. Come on. That's man. pretty that's pretty profound. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna speculate something really fun in the mix here since we're talking about cats eating. That guy coffee. was a homunculus writing to me, right? In my DMs. <laughs> it is a cat, by the way. It's it's a it's an animal called a civet, but it is a pull it up described as cat like. I'll, I'll give you a link. To okay, it you're so cat like Thomas. So on the Isle of yeah. Man, there is a rare breed of Manx cats, and the people of the Island of Man call themselves the Manx people. That's they they're named after this cat. And anywhere where feral cats start to over dominate the population, the people take on this 
toxoplasmosis gondii uh, culturally, and it has profound effects, and they are living in a whole other world over a long period of time. So I just wanted to throw that possibility out because the Isle of Man is like ground zero for a lot of things, including, uh, I think, including Miss Twyman's research uh, that was just kind of bubbled up. Well, now you're week. definitely going to get us taken. Yeah, down. dude, come on, man. <laughs> come on, bro. So check this out. Kopi Luwak, also called Cafe Cut Chun Fox Dung Coffee in Vietnam. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to have a buddy of mine who lives in Vietnam. I'm going to hit him up about this. In the Philippines, there's a coffee that's prepared. one pound, six hundred dollars, and up to a hundred dollars for one cup of this coffee. Okay, so fox hunting is uh, black market slang for hunting humans. But I love what you were saying earlier, Thomas, about maybe that's a dodge. Like we think we come up on something and we're like, "Ooh, we figured it all out." I'm going to go do a bunch of scopolamine. I got it. (laughs) And I don't mind. Right. And and if people think I'm hunting humans, that's okay because that'll keep them occupied while we while we hide the hide the actual. Yeah, because they're not going to find me hunting humans. And and honestly, getting into the dicey situation here, but I I honestly I still believe Jesus and Santa are both mushrooms and almost like every religious text is talking about mushrooms. But if you go into that like Baphomet. Um, and the Knights Templar, I, you would probably rather say, yeah, we were worshiping Satan and we were kissing, you know, cat asses instead of divulging the actual secret of the universe to someone that would torture over it. That's a plea bargain. It's a, you're taking a plea bargain. Like, yeah, you can say all this horrible shit, but don't tell them what the real, what the real nitty gritty was. And, and I mean, you could probably draw a pretty straight thread directly to the uh, Salem witch trials and a lot of ones similar where Tatuba was this, you know, basically came from like the Caribbean area and yeah. would have brought a lot of that knowledge of, you know, Perikelshin, just take a little bit of this and a little bit of this and you'll trip out and see things and talk to demons and she gives it all to the white girls and the white girls can't handle it, you know, so then <laughs> they spill the beans and then all of a sudden everyone's getting in trouble. There it is. Don't spill the beans. Don't spill the beans, dude. Maybe that is literally talking about like do not reveal, you know, the <laughs> the origin of life which is the beans and that's the Pythagoreans. Wow, man. Whoa. What a- yeah. What a wild weave this is. This is really something. Yeah, and like that what is what is it the the man, the Jack and the Beanstalk, right? And the magic beans, you have jelly beans and then I'm going to try and weave something together here real quick to see if it's there or not. But Rabbi Elias, I believe is his name. Let's see. Jack and the Beanstalk because this guy on. Jack and the Beanstalk is Jabs. J-A-B-S. Mm-hmm. Ain't that something? Mm-hmm. Let's see here. So, Jack and the Beanstalk is an English fairy tale that appeared as the story of Jack Spriggins and the Enchanted Bean in 1734. And so, who was the first one to write this? Because... And I want to point out, we're on this thread, dude, but like... Here we go back into the adrenochrome cannibalism angle because remember it was fee fi fo fum. Mm-hmm. I smell the blood of an Englishman, but then he threatens that he says, "Be he alive or dead, I'll grind his bones to make my bread." So it's like this full circle of like psychedelics and cannibalism wow. and torture and eating people, 
it's, and pan. It's, it's this weird freaking Ouroboros connection, man. Yes, make your to make my bread is pan. Pan is bread, which is the goat pain. god or pain it, in yeah, French, pain, right? Yes. yes. Wow, fascinating. So they even had it in uh, the Magic School Bus too. Had it in one piece. And the reason oh I bring God, this dude. up, I, I just saw on the Wikipedia page the original story of. Uh, Jack, oh man, Jack and the Beanstalk. The giant's name is Gog Magog, oh. which, which is uh, not only the the biblical connotations of that, but Skull and Bones. I believe that was the Bush family um, took on Gog and Magog. That was yeah, uh, so, Bush Senior and and Grandpappy Bush. The reason I bring this up, and I'm not, I'm gonna try and weave it into this, but Francois Rabel Rabelais. However you say that, he's French, Renaissance, of course, writer-physician, monk, and Greek scholar. His primary, he is primarily known as a writer of satire, of grotesque, and of body jokes and songs. So, this is the guy that came up with Do What Thou Wilt. This was the first guy to ever say that. And check this out because so Gargantua and Pantagrel relates to the adventures of Gargantua and his son Pantagrel and the Tales of Adventures. You're right, festive, gross, da da da. The first book, and I could have showed I could have swore there was giants in this. The narrator there is no. Script. This is a story about giants. Yeah, exactly. So it's a giant. So would have through a giant far too large for Noah's Ark, stating that really the giant raining of flood. So check this out. This is where the the word gargantuan comes from. Yeah, and here check this out. Look look at this. Thelemi and Abbey of Thelemi. Yeah, buddy. So so we have the Crowley connection here, and this is him in the second novel, and this was in, oof, in the 15th century. Okay, he was he had an Abbey of Thelemi. Right, the Lemi and the Abbey of the Redirect here that for a spiritual center founded by Aleister Crowley, the Abbey of the Lima, and the second novel, Gargantua M, whatever, da, 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 built by a giant Gargantua. It differs markedly from the monastic norm. And this is also linked to the fire, the Hellfire Clubs, too. Only yes. the good looking are permitted to enter. The inscription on the gate to the Abbey first sets out. Who is unwelcome? Hypocrites, bigots, and pox-ridden goths, magos, <laughs> straw-chewing law clerks, usurers, grinches, old or officious, no fatties, burners <laughs> of her uh, burners of heretics. When the members are definitely positive, the text becomes more inviting. So then it says here, "Where's the do what thou wilt?" Uh, right here. So it was that Gargantua had established it, and their rule was there was only one clause: do what you will. Okay, people... I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm I'm gonna predate this with another philosopher inside the circle from uh, 212 BC, uh, but but I didn't want to interrupt because I think you're totally right on to say this is this phrase is popping up on the map under this guy's name, but I learned a couple weeks back that Archimedes of Sardinia, his dying words, as the Romans were infiltrating the temple and taking prisoners, 
They were trying to take him, and he refused to even pay attention to the Roman soldiers who had their swords drawn, and instead he was drawing circles on the ground. And they don't tell us what those circles on the ground were, but we might infer that those were magical rites of protective wards. Wait, wait, so start from the beginning, because now you you pique my interest. Yes. So you said, okay, go ahead. Archimedes of Sardinia uh, was alive from 287 to 212 BC, allegedly. I'm I'm not attached to the time frames, but that that predates what you were saying by far, right? So uh, he was being taken uh, prisoner when the Romans attacked the Greek city. Now this city was um, it was Greek culture, but I, I believe it was near or around. Um, Alexandria, you know, so it's like North Africa, Greek city, uh, where there's a, a huge convergence in this time frame of Greek culture, Jewish culture. Is this the Archimedes? Like this is the Archimedes, and his which was dying... also the name of the owl and sword in the stone, by the way. Oh shit! Circles. There's the fucking enneagram, y'all. Okay, <sighs> that is awesome. Thank you so much. Um, so yeah, as he's being taken prisoner. He refuses to go with the Roman soldier who's waving the sword around. Well, meanwhile, he's waving his his uh, pencil around. He's drawing these circles on the ground. And his dying words were, do what thou wilt, Roman. And so they killed him. No. And so those are Where, Where's your source for that? Uh, Sorry to call I, you out, Gabe, but I'm trying to... Because this is, this is huge because he's... I link the even the Archimedean solids... Yes. Which plays into Plato, which plays into Descartes, because all these guys are linked with what? With mathematics, geometry. And Descartes was obsessed also with turning his ideas into the platonic solids. So it's like this sort of manifestation. And then you have these guys before they die, what they do some full metal alchemist shit where they draw a circle around them to try and do what? Right. And even (laughs) here's here's a thought like maybe maybe the lesson here is that the Greeks were of a knowing that was so uh it was so protected that no Roman could crack the code. And so he's in the circle. He's inside the circle. He knows all the secrets of the circle. He's got the decoder ring extraordinaire. And he doesn't give a fuck what the Romans try to do because he knows that this is perennial wisdom. It will come back. It will live again another day. And so they can slay him if they want. The truth of the secrets will uh, prevail in the end. And, and small minded Roman soldiers are never going to penetrate the truth of the inner circle of the inner circle of secrets. Although a lot of the Roman soldiers were the exclusively the members of the uh, cult of Mithras, right? So you had to be yes. a Roman soldier in order to even get access to that deep knowledge. But then within there, you probably had to be, you know, like yes. a high ranking four star general equivalent with no dick left at this point. <laughs> at all not even a nub you're like down to a smoothie <laughs> unless that again is one of those things where it's like if you read it for yourself and you don't have the person with the decoder ring you're yeah. you're chopping yourself up right but it's like oh they didn't they didn't know how to read that part and it's like haha <laughs> yeah and and the story that you're talking about because i've heard about this before he's the one that yeah. didn't want to leave his work and that's why it says allegedly he was killed because he refused to leave his mathematical work but I'm right. not seeing the 
do what thou wilt. Yeah, do what you you know, do what thou will. And then he got killed. But yeah, I have heard about that about him dying because he wouldn't leave his work, and that that might be allegorical to like don't focus too much on what you're doing and be aware. You know, spend time outside. If so, amor is Roma. Mm -hmm. So do what thou wilt, Roman has the key uh, words for the Thelemic, do what thou will, shall be the whole of the law, love under will, love whatever, they're, I don't know, I'm not in the fucking group, but it has Roma, the love, mm-hmm. that is outside of the circle, and he is being willful in the circle. So whatever this, this story is, I see an even deeper penetrating allegory uh, baked into his death scene. And, I, and also, I'm going to say this too, the word slogan uh, is a translation for the de- the battle cry of a dead army. And so he was dead already, and that became a slogan. Do what thou wilt became a slogan. It's a battle cry of the dead. Uh, and that's kind of that's kind of fascinating. There's a lot to that battle cry of the dead is a slogan there's a whole side well, weave on that, that. Could, i mean that could be woven into necromancy at that point Re- repeating right. the words of the dead you know yes so yes. this guy this guy here said hold on let me finish my mathematical problem yep. before you kill me he's got that that freemason uh symbolism all over is this the place the, here what is as a circle here you got the globe right you've got you the got, perfect square on the bottom uh right the perfect this is like a black mirror here. to me here i don't know but you can't kind of see like a circle and a cross on it you have nice. the 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 line or something there so you have the little homunculus in the back with the mm-hmm. something in his hand and this dude's about to just freaking stab him he's like yo get off your freaking he's like hold on bro i just gotta finish one more circle <laughs> <laughs> so that's the death of Archimedes and yeah I, had, I definitely have heard about this before and let's see here we have any more pictures and his name is like look look to the ark his uh Arche Medes Medes is like look to Meda the last words attributed to Archimedes do not disturb my circles <laughs> There, there's there something is. wild. I mean, I'm struggling to remember the exact name or location, but there's like um, an, uh, a church somewhere in Italy. I want to think it's in Milan. Uh, I'm probably wrong on that. And it was built on top of an, uh, an older sort of Roman temple. But there was a story about this child, like um, almost like a saint. And everyone knew he was special, or at least all of the priests knew he was special because the kid could just draw perfect circles. He could walk up to the wall and draw a perfect circle without the use of a compass or any special tools. And they end up basically adopting this kid into the church. And he ends up drawing all the halos um, around all the heads of all the saints and, you know, everything because he was able to do it from hand and the, the ability for a human to draw a perfect circle by hand on the first try, it's almost seen as uh, like almost a miracle. Like, you know, he's like the LeBron James of drawing circles, essentially. Oh, that's a that's a, a song from Tool, Perfect Circles. Really? Because that reminds me of something I got here where it's... And Tool, Tool is, this is Tool right here. Two L's. This is the golden, <laughs> that generates the golden square, the perfect rational proportion, which I think is phi. That could also be two, um, <laughs> two golf clubs on top of each other, which would be the, the two ball cane. Oh, snap. 
Oh, snap. You I'll give you two balls, much. Thomas. <laughs> so here we have this Michael Meyer guy. And I keep always going back to this, this alchemical text. It's got all these weird plates. And I know you related. You had one that had the little the little black baby and the red baby in it, no? Yes. Okay. In my, uh, you're talking about my tarot, the tarot system? Yes. Is it the, yes, the, on the, the sun card? Uh, no, it's the, on the fifth deck, it's the lover's card that has a, a, a black king and a blonde uh, queen are getting married. And at their feet, like a checkered board pattern, uh, there is a crisscross where the white baby is under the black king and the black baby is under the white queen. So it's almost, I think there's a, ch I mean, I think they're implying chess moves and strategy uh, in that card. But it also, I've come to believe that it is referring to um, Francois de la Rochefoucauld is a French philosopher who is carrying on the tradition of the symposium in France. Uh, they did symposiums in France. They called them salons, which means the room, uh, which is a very interesting fact uh, because I it, I think it refers to the, the side door jurisdiction of the psychic realm, actually, as well. But in his, in his uh, tarot card, the lover's card, which I can substantiate by his family crest and his, uh, his iconography, the pictures he's wearing, a white, uh, black spotted uh, fur coat is his family logo in his paintings and in his family crest. And that is what the king and the queen are wearing in that lover's card. So he was a master of self-love. And, uh, and he had the philosophy. He was also the founding figure, a founding father of psychology, this Francois de la Rochefoucauld. And his, the foundation of psychology is based on his philosophy, which is that everybody is just in it for self-love. Uh, so that's a nihilistic cul-de-sac. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a bad philosophy to be plugging into anybody's worldview. And it's also a circle jerk. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, yeah, by being a master <laughs> of self-love, <laughs> it sounds like every teenager. And, and yeah. uh, this is one of my favorite images, actually, right here. This is an uh, image of him inventing the first pizza. <laughs> but check this out so ch ch check this we have emblema was at 21 xx1 and we'll, we'll we'll wrap it up on this because this is really interesting and and we'll see what comes from next i don't know what we're going to be talking about next but i think this is a perfect segue into young right because he was into alchemy and into all this sort of weirdness but make of the man and woman a circle of that a quadrangle of this a triangle of the of the same a circle and you will have the stone of the philosophers so you have the compass here right yeah you have some other weird obscure stuff on the ground you have the homunculus essentially what it is there and i'm wondering if this is a map of some sorts right like if these are shapes of something it kind of looks like that a little bit like the, the you know and then he goes on to talk about it here. And one of the things that stood out, Plato and the most excellent philosopher was the, was the opinion that those notions or ideas, which are the foundations of arts and sciences are as it were actually engraved and imprinted upon the mind of man. And that by the repetition and remembrance of them, he could apprehend and know all, all manner of learning. So that's what Plato was about. He said that 
we already knew everything that there is to know. We already know it. We just have to remember it, actively remember it. Right. To prove this, he introduced a young lad, rude and uninstructed, and asked him such geometrical questions that the youth might be perceived to answer right whether he will or no. And although before he understood nothing of the matter yet, by their, these answers seem to have penetrated into the depths of I can't read that. What is that? Depths of... So so abstruse a science. So abstruse a science from whence he concluded that in children all discipline and doctrine is not at first taken in and learned, but called to mind and brought by the memory, alluding to alluding by this to the anus magnus, or great year. Anus <laughs> magnus. Oh, man. The great yes. anus. <laughs> so, the great so year. So check this out, a great war of which he says that 48,000 solar years ago before the revolution of the heaven, the same persons, things, and actions were then in being which are at the perfect time, the present time, whensoever that is. Okay, I'm going to stop reading this because this is... uh... Okay, so so the old calendar was a nine-month year, which comports perfectly to my Enneagram project. 40-day months, eight-day weeks... Mm. It, 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 uh, it's, it's an ancient calendar. It's called the Roman fasty calendar, but it predates the Romans. It goes back to Greece. Uh, and so I have always thought that those at the real high echelons are operating on a completely different calendar system that is not disclosed to us. I think they're operating on a nine month year. So that I think might be a hint towards that idea in, uh, if you bring that picture of that he's drawn on the wall, if you were to take that and then look, well, here, I'll pull up the, I'll pull the card over and you guys can look at it. And he also goes on to say, they ask him because at the top of Plato's door at the school, it says that no one ignorant of geometry was there to be admitted. It's like, how are you supposed to go learn if you don't know about geometry? If you're ignorant of it, then how can you go to it? <laughs> well, I mean, I think that was like separating you know, the people that needed to learn about it versus the ones that already knew and were ready for like that next level. All right, hold on, hold on. Let's see here. We can make this to where he's here and then I can, there we go. Okay. Yeah. So that general triangle, the emanating circles, those, those are actually swords. But you see that the so they're telling you to bring the two the male and the female together there, but here they're actually up in the corners. They're not together. They're apart. And my ultimate thesis recently has taken an interesting turn. I'm going to make a really uh, standard slick dissident bold claim. I think that the enneagram that's being implemented in our culture is uh, inversion. I think that the three and the six need to switch their nature. The numbers can stay the same. The numbers aren't what matters. The characteristics that are in the archetypes that are sitting in the position of the three and the six, I think they need to switch for it to be a healing uh, modality. And so I think that the, um, the Star Wars spell of this tarot deck being infused into the Enneagram, it has, it's a bad construct. And it is designed to uh, essentially break up, to break love, to uh, to malfunction for a malfunction of people's concept of love as the construct of our collective consciousness. 
And that's what's nefar- that's what I think is nefarious about the whole thing, because this is uh, Francois de la Rochefoucauld, who is just a self-loving uh, circle jerker. Uh, ultimately, it's a bad model. It's a really bad model. And I would even I mean, I can talk about it metaphorically a thousand different ways. You know, I could say that this flaw in the Enneagram is the flaw that was in the crown of Lucifer. He had a crack in his in the gems of his uh, in his Corona. He had a, a flawed mm. gem in the Corona. I think oh, that, that sounds the, like the, the black uh, cornea. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, I think that there's a, uh, a kind of like we were talking about, you know, that these alchemists, they put a they put a bad recipe forward so 100%. that people. Yeah. So the people will get fucked if they try if they test it out. And okay. so, uh, yeah, my theory is that the lovers needs to be in the three position and the empress card needs to be over in the sixth position. But that's a that's a whole show for another day. And, and check this out. It kind of reminds me of the homunculus from the cart or is. Right, well, this is a, is a woman, but this guy's like, you know, this guy's just sleeping away, holding. Was he holding fire? <laughs> oh yeah, that. Yeah, this is the birth of this is Athena's birth, where she's born out of Zeus's head, and oh. Hephaestus has to split his dome so Athena can be born. Really? Let me see here. Yes. When Pol- when Pallas was born and Sol was in conjunction with Venus, it rained gold. Of course, yeah, it's, it's alchemical. Gold at Rhodes. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's like it's like trying to decipher any alchemical thing. It's like, oh wait, it's it's, in, it's encoded 100. percent So yeah, this dude's like trying to chop out a homunculus or a femunculus, a woman. That's the uh, the acts of enlightenment. So it's not meant to you know harm you. It's actually meant to help you. So hitting mm-hmm. him on top of the head opens your mind and allows all of these ideas to sort of flow in and out of it where they weren't before taking the taking the term opening your mind to a whole new level thank you for that thomas i appreciate it brother <laughs> don't go chopping your heads open with the no but we should all be going out i think if we learn anything go and find some scopolamine and just go hard in the paint uh, and that's what the cart did and if you want to be as smart as the cart you'll do it too if you want to be as smart as the cart, you're going to go to the Podcast.com and buy an Occultist Monday and get a copy of the... That's the that's the secret to the Philosopher's Stone. Getting a copy of the Chosen Juan and reading it upside down and learning how to recite it backwards. And you're actually going to discover how to transcend this dimension. So check it well, out. You actually need the uh, the special Abraxas version. Oh, I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, you, don't even have, you don't even have your own copy of it. With that's right. Yeah. Yeah, my homunculus and this right here it. tells you exactly how to orient it so that you have access to the third heaven. That's right. So, yeah, I don't know what we learned from this episode because this was a wild ride. But oh, well, you know what? Before we go, I want to point something out. So I'm going to bring you guys over to my Enneagram. I want to point out that uh, the, the Cartesian split is uh, knowable on the Enneagram. It's a, it's a specific location. It's not willy-nilly. It is a specific location. Let's see if I can put you guys on my mount here. Mount you guys up. No, I don't want you to mount it, me, bro. It, yeah, it feels great <laughs> to be mounted by you, to be honest. <laughs> so in the Enneagram, these, the two, the three, and the four, this is the heart center. This is where I believe the love needs to actually be over here. And the uh, achiever needs to be in the over in the five, six, and seven is the thinking grouping. And so this is the heart. This is the thinking. And up top 
These three are the instincts. They are the body, the eight, the nine, and the one. They are the body. So when they say Cartesian split, I look at this grand yod, this mm. this cut right here that divides the five from the four, and I'm looking at this cut right here, the seven from the eight, and I'm looking at this cut, the one to the two. The whole thing makes the shape of a Y, and this is the answer, Y, we are the way we are. I think, therefore, I am. That's what's up. So, yeah, I'm quite sure that these philosophers knew about this system. And I think that we should not take it on face value right away. I feel like, uh, you know, I feel like not only was Crowley a classic uh, inverter of things, I think Machiavelli was an inverter of things as well. So uh, whatever these systems we stumble upon, we should always have a space in our mind to separate out, to parse out the possibility that there's a that there's a dodge or a duck. So I just thought I would throw that in the mix because your guys' project has actually kept me on my toes to not take things at face value. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I promise you we didn't intend to, for that to happen. We just want to put together a really good... <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> we open up these can... I sent it to a friend of mine. He's like, yeah, you've opened up a can of worms. I'm like, we know. This is what we're here for. <laughs> So the next episode I want to do for the Occult Book Club is going to be Aeon. We're going to have plenty of time. Uh, we actually have to reschedule that date that I sent you, Thomas. So we'll talk about that. We'll have time to read in, take a few notes, and and read through the whole thing. So, yeah, you guys, I'll post your links in the description. Hopefully everybody enjoyed this. And catch you guys on the next wild ride of trying to decipher this weird cacao-esque reality that we live in. And yeah, catch you guys on the other side. Bye.